Good afternoon and welcome to the City View podcast with me, Andy Sylvester. It's all eyes on the Fed by the time you listen to this. We'll probably still be waiting for a decision from Jerome Powell. Although in the terms of sort of suspense, this is like waiting to see if Liverpool make it to the Champions League final last night. It, it, only, only the most unlikely series of events can throw off what we think will be a 50 basis points rise. We'll come back to that more with Jack Barnett in just a minute, our economics and markets correspondent. Uh, but the biggest news today in London is that Crossrail is now only 20 days away. Three and a half years late, admittedly, but it will whisk you from Canary Wharf to Paddington in about 20 minutes. And indeed, by September, take you all the way to Heathrow. So, strong step in the right direction for TfL. Somehow or other, the government has turned this into a row with Sadiq Khan, um, with the mayor being hauled up in front of Parliament next week to explain why he's announced it the day before local elections. Um, Presumably, I have to be frank, because... That's when it's going to be ready. But anyway, I shan't elaborate too much. Um, Elsewhere in the corporate world, sales slowing at JD Weatherspoon's Tim Martin complaining as ever about lockdown. But also one slight uh, bit of light at the end of the tunnel for those who prefer their Weatherspoon's venues to have a bit of music. Sales actually up at those venues, which continue to play tinned music rather than slightly dull and slightly sad environment that most Weatherspoons occasionally look like. Um, Elsewhere, we've got Jules posting revenue growth despite dwindling consumer confidence shares down 36%. However, after the CEO left the Advertising Standards Association, stopping BT from claiming that they're the fastest broadband in the country, beaten out by Virgin Media. Elon Musk uh, invited to the DCMS Select committee to give evidence on his uh, future ownership of Twitter and what might be in store. And elsewhere, first takes from Boohoo and various others about the first quarter, pretty much all reflecting exactly what we know, which is the cost of living crisis, Jack. Um, Bring you in now. Um, Let's start with, you and I see an awful lot of corporate results. And all of them at the moment seem to have in about the third par uh, third paragraph, um, a line about either the cost of living crisis, recessionary pressures, inflation, et cetera, et cetera. It is being felt on the ground now, isn't it? Yeah, it definitely is. And you can see that through corporate earnings. I think you can see that on both sides of the pond as well. So I think there's quite a few notes um, coming out in the last couple of weeks saying that the, you know, the main reasons why um, equity markets in the US uh, and the UK are slumping is because this higher inflationary environment we kind of find ourselves in now is having an impact on firms' bottom lines whilst mm. also at the same time it's having an impact um, on consumers' living standards as well. So I think the question now is we've always got two very big decisions coming up uh, today and tomorrow, the first one being from the Federal Reserve and the next one being from the Bank of England tomorrow. Um, each of them are widely expected to hike interest rates. I think the difference is, is the steepness of the hike. So in the US, most people are expecting it to be a 50 basis point hike. Um, that breaks with the Fed's tradition of typically moving rates in, mm. in 25 basis point increments. So it's that if they were to do that, that is very much an indication of how concerned they are about the, um, the level of inflation at the moment, which over in the US is 8.5% higher mm. since the early 80s. And most Wall Street analysts are penciling in a few more 50 basis point rate hikes yeah. this year. Um, 
it's probably worth stopping there and just and speaking about the US in particular. The Fed faced with a slightly different dilemma to the Bank of England. The US economy is not necessarily slowing in the way that the U well, I say that it dropped by what 1.4% in the first mm-hmm. quarter. But the the Fed seems to be felt by analysts anyway to have a bit more leeway to to raise more quickly than the bank does. Because the argument being the bank, if it raises too quickly here, will choke off any version of recovery that we have. Yeah, definitely. I think the main point that is just where the source of difference between um, the US economy and the UK economy is the state of each respective country's um, jobs market. So in the UK, there is extremely strong um, wage pressures as a result of about 600,000 people leaving the jobs market since the start of Mm. the pandemic for various reasons. One being long-term illness as a result of COVID, people going back into education to whilst the the economic situation improves. And across the pond, uh, the labour market is still very tight, but there's still quite a lot of slack in the labour market. So you've not had so many people drop out um, of their jobs market as we've had over here. So the idea is that in the future, wage pressures should ease because there are just more workers out there looking for jobs, which means bargaining power from workers starts to recede, mm. which means then firms can then hire people on, you know, maybe a 1% pay rise as opposed to a 5% pay rise. So their their margins are not squeezed so much by the tighter jobs market. So across the pond, inflationary presses look as if they're probably going to ease a bit more. There's also the, um, the flip side that the US has got quite a strong domestic energy sector. Mm. So they're not so exposed to the Russia-Ukraine war. They're not so exposed to the energy price hikes we've had in Europe. Um, Whereas over here, wage pressures look pretty hot at the moment. They look pretty sustained as well. And we've obviously got spillover effects from European energy prices being that much higher. Um, But most people are expecting the bank to raise um, interest rates 25 basis points tomorrow. Yeah. And let's talk through the choreography of these things because... The market is very much priced in these interest rate rises, completely understandably. Mm. But an awful lot of analysts will not necessarily be interested in that headline figure. They'll be interested in for guidance and comments. How important has that commentary become in teeing up markets for future rate rises, teeing up markets or, or reassuring markets, I guess, reassuring traders that somebody is keeping an eye on inflation, that somebody is going to do something about interest rates. Because we heard an awful lot about forward guidance under Mark Carney. Forward guidance under Andrew Bailey has been somewhat less than, than reliable, certainly last year, although perhaps more reliable this year. Mm. Where are markets looking at, or do they just feel like the, the the economic plates are moving so fast that they can simply just predict what the MPC here will do and what the Fed will do in the US, purely because the situation is so blindingly obvious in need of direct action? Yeah, so I think the, the, the sort of main point is, is, is kind of looking at what is the point of forward guidance. Now, the, the whole idea is that you're trying to get, when a central bank says that, you know, if the economy performs in X way, we will do Y. The idea is that, well, in two months' time, if traders look at that forward guidance and say, oh, you know, unemployment has dropped to 4% or inflation has risen above 3%, we can then rationally think that our central bank is probably going to hike interest rates or lower interest rates. The idea is that is that you, you get markets to where you already want them to be before you have to raise interest rates. So if, if markets think that the Bank of England is going to hike interest rates, bond yields should then start to rise. So when mm. you do hike interest rates, the level of financial volatility is quite 
it's quite it's, it's not huge so mm. the actual shock to the economy from raising rates or um, for lowering rates is not as much as it would be if you just stood up and just did it out of nowhere um but the actual the, the effectiveness of forward guidance has definitely been drawn to quite sharp relief recently particularly off the back of um governor bailey's comments back in november when he seemingly teed people up for a rate rise and didn't do it um but i think most people now are expecting the four guidance from the bank to be pretty much on point mm. um you've seen in the last couple of weeks they've rolled back well, they try to shape market expectations for rate hikes. And I think markets are, they are pricing some of that in, but they still think the bank will need to go further. Um, and they're still pricing in more rate yeah. hikes than the bank has, has said in the past. And it's worth remembering always, particularly with Threadneedle Street, the bank has one mandate, mm. which is to keep inflation around or about 2% annually. Nonetheless, they are conscious and cognizant of UK economic growth. It would be a brave governor that said inflation is at 2%. Don't worry, everybody, if GDP growth was you know falling through the floor, mm. um, they would feel obliged to do something. Well, the latest data from uh, the ONS, I think it was, you can correct me. Uh, well, if actually, it was, was the bank, wasn't it, on, on credit data suggests to me that the bank is soon going to be facing the worst of all possible worlds, which is lagging growth, runaway inflation that could is, could well lead to a, to a dreaded R word, to a recession. Mm. Is that savings-based? Is that consumer growth-based? What's, what's driving that? Well, I think the main thing is that we, again, it's, it's also the difference between us and the US is that we're so heavily reliant on consumers going out there and spending. I think about, I think, about 60% of GDP is generated from consumer mm. spending. Um, the, the argument sort of goes is that inflation is so high, um, wages aren't keeping pace, people then naturally pull back spending because they can't afford it anymore. And that leads to a pull, a cooling in economic growth. Now, the only sort of upside scenario to that of us not hitting a recession is either people dip into this enormous amount of savings that they built up over the course of the pandemic to maintain normal spending levels or they borrow more. Um, today's figures from from the bank indicated that the, the level of drawdown from those savings is not as quick. It's not going to be quick enough to avoid mm. a recession. People are taking on more debt um, just because they're being squeezed. But I think for the bank, that the, the quandary for them is that how much do they rely on people naturally pulling back on spending, reducing demand, and then lowering inflation naturally, or how much do they intervene in the economy themselves, hike interest rates and bring down demand in that way. Mm. So, you know, they've got a level of agency in this situation where they can actually bring down inflation, whereas opposed to just relying too heavily on pretty much a flip of a coin yeah. and whether or not people um, will slash spending. And that's the trade-off they'll be thinking about tomorrow. It's going to be a very difficult decision. I think it's fair to say the members of the MPC will be earning their uh, their daily fee um, when they when they make their call. Tomorrow, and we will, of course, wait for Andrew Bowley's comments afterwards, which, as Jack says, may well be more illuminating about the future path um, of the bank's uh, decision-making. Jack, thanks very much. You've got to get back to, to try and read the runes on the Fed. And that's all from us at the City AM City View podcast today. We'll be back tomorrow after the bank's decision telling you whether your mortgage is more expensive. Thanks for everything. Thanks for everything.